It's early morning on a Saturday. You wake up, rush downstairs, grab a thermos of coffee, add a little bit of maple syrup because, well, we all know that you guys are listening to the science behind that podcast. You rush out the door and head on over to the hospital. When you get there, you check in for your first COVID shot. And while you're sitting there waiting to get your first vaccination, you ask yourself, what actually is the COVID vaccine? How does it work? Well, let's talk about that on today's episode of The Science Behind That. Welcome to The Science Behind That with Atticus Hamilton. Hello, all you scientists, and welcome back to the Science Behind That podcast. Uh, I hope you guys are having a beautiful Monday wherever you are. I know I am. It's it's uh, like eighty two outside here. It's it's a beautiful Monday. Um, and uh, so today we're going to be talking about the SARS CoV two vaccine, as you guys heard. Uh, so make sure to grab yourself a cup of coffee. This is going to be a longer uh, episode. Um. So getting started here, a while ago I recorded an entire episode on how vaccines in of themselves work. So if you guys haven't seen that um, episode, I would definitely, you know, I definitely recommend taking a look at it before you guys listen to this one. That that one will be uh, very informative because I'm just going to kind of give a simple overview of how vaccines basically work with this. Um, before we talk about this particular vaccine. Um, so, in general, that there are a couple different types of vaccines. You have um, what are called subunit vaccines. You have conjugate vaccines. You have dead vaccines, and you have live vaccines. And so, under live vaccines, we have what are called attenuated vaccines. And these are vaccines that contain a weak strain of whatever pathogen it is that we're talking about. Excuse me, I had to grab some coffee there. Um, and then under the dead vaccines, we have a, a whole different, you know, amalgam of, of different vaccines. We have whole virus vaccines. We have subunit virus vaccines. We have... Um, vaccines where we basically just take the pathogen, grind it up into tiny bits, and just inject that into patients. Um, so there are a lot of dead vaccines as well. Um, and then we have conjugate and subunit vaccines, which I really won't talk about today because those are typically used for um, bacteria. And then, of course, we have toxoid shots, which are used for um, toxins, which we will not cover today, but... I did cover in my old episode on vaccines from, I believe, either the 19th or 17th of November of this past year. So, what first off, because, so we're gonna, only going to be talking about the Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca vaccines just because the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is kind of iffy on does it actually work, which the evidence suggests it doesn't, so we're not really going to talk about that one. But as for Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca, they are um, DNA vaccines. Now, it's kind of misleading because SARS-CoV-2 does not contain DNA. And so, um, you know, for all of you scientists out there who have been attentive and 
paying attention to the media, everyone was like, oh, they're DNA vaccines. And uh, in their very brief definitions, they're like, well, DNA vaccines are vaccines that contain the DNA from the pathogen. It's not entirely accurate. Um, And especially in this instance, because COVID or SARS-CoV-2, which I'm just going to abbreviate by SARS-2. So COVID will be SARS-2 for the sake of this uh, podcast episode. Um, It has RNA. So the vaccine is technically an RNA vaccine. But regardless of that, DNA vaccines and RNA vaccines, they work in the same principle. So typically speaking, if we just take like your standard flu vaccine, which is an attenuated vaccine, this vaccine contains the live whole flu virus that's been weakened, right? So what happens when you inject that into the patient? Well, When you inject that into the patient, it is first metabolized by the trash can cell of your body called a macrophage. That macrophage chops up that little, um, it chops up that little uh, virus particle and it displays it on a protein called MHC class two, I believe. Um, and at the same time that this is happening, a B cell, we have these little cells called B cells in our body. They're just floating around, hanging out. And this little B cell binds to this, um, MHC class two. And, uh, after it binds. So what happens is a B cell phagocytizes a viral particle at the same time that the macrophage is phagocytizing a viral particle. And so what happens is the B cell displays the chopped up virus on its own special receptor called the BCR or B uh, B cell receptor. And it displays it to the, um, to the macrophage and they basically bind and the B cells like, yes, more of that activate more of more of that. Good job, macrophage. (laughs) And, uh, the macrophage is active, right? So now what happens? Are we done yet? No, we're not. There's another type of cell in your body called a T cell. And a particular type of T cell, which is like a baby T cell called a naive T cell, um, or a naive CD4 T cell, or sorry, a naive T cell, that binds to the B cell on the BCR receptor. And it goes from being a naive T cell to a CD4 or a CD8 T cell which are in active form. And so basically what happens here is that the B cell and the macrophage, just to summarize, B cell and the macrophage phagocytose this virus, and this is for an influenza vaccine again, at the same time. They bind to each other on the BCR and MHC class 2 receptors, and they essentially activate each other. After that, that B cell goes on to to bind to a helper T cell or a naive T cell and activate that naive T cell. And after you do that, you've basically stimulated an immune response. So you've basically created what are called both memory B cells and memory T cells. Memory T cells remember, they remember um, what the antigen looks like or the piece of virus, what it looks like so they can activate more B cells. And B cells remember what the antigen looks like so they can activate 
what are called um, plasma cells or effector cells, which produce antibody. So long story short, that's what happens. And again, I want to stress this, ladies and gentlemen, that is with influenza vaccines, not with this one. This one is a little different. So as I mentioned previously, macrophages have a protein uh, on their surface called MHC class 2 that they use to display the um, chopped up virus to the B cell, right? Well, they also contain another type of protein, and this is an entire class of protein. So there's not just one of these called a toll-like receptor. And so there's not just one toll-like receptor. And so for all of you guys out there who like to know how things are spelled, it's spelled toll as in like speedway toll, T-O-L-L, receptor. Um, and fun fact, some of you may be curious, others aren't probably aren't which is fair because i'm not really into the history of words either but um just a fun fact about toll-like receptors if you're wondering why they're called toll-like receptors it's because the toll comes from some word in german and i forget what it was but it means cool i think it was a it was a story that um my immunology professor a couple years ago told me and I kind of remembered it but I guess I didn't I guess I didn't remember it enough to make it a fun fact anyway so there are there are around 11 different um toll like receptors or TLRs which we're going to abbreviate them as the rest of the episode there are 11 different TLRs and don't worry we're not going to talk about really any of them we're just going to briefly discuss two of them so, um, TLR7 and TLR8 are special toll-like receptors designed to recognize um, single-stranded RNA. And then we have TLR3, which recognizes double-stranded RNA. Now, if we recall, the genetic information stored within the SARS-CoV-2 virus is a positive-sense single-stranded RNA. And so that will bind to either TLR7 or TLR8. Um, yeah, TLR7 or TLR8. And so what happens then when this DNA binds, right? So let's say, you know, just following the scenario that I gave in the introduction to this episode, you get up, you go to the doctor's office to get your... Uh, SARS or your COVID vaccine. So you're injected with this positive sense uh, single-stranded RNA. Then what? What happens is this RNA from SARS-2, it binds to either toll-like receptor 7 or toll-like receptor 8, or it could bind to TLR7 and TLR8. Either way, it binds to at least one of those uh, toll-like receptors on a macrophage and basically what happens is that activates that macrophage. So after that macrophage is activated, it basically, through a series of biochemical mechanisms, which we're not really going to talk about because I'll tell you, uh, guys, you could do an entire 
entire episode on this on just this biochemistry alone but i promise you we're not doing that <laughs> through a series of biochemical messengers it basically sends out alert hey i have something here and so what will happen is a b cell will phagocytize the rna it will not bind it to a tlr uh, or to a toll-like receptor the reason is because if i unless i'm mistaken it is only macrophages that have toll-like receptors. If any of you in the audience are immunologists and I got that wrong, I'm sorry. Send me an email. Let me know. Um, but I'm fairly certain that it is only macrophages that have toll-like receptors. And so, um, well, I guess macrophages and neutrophils. Anyway, um, so... The B-cell phagocytoses the um, the RNA from the vaccine, and it binds to MHC class 2 because what happens is when that DNA or when that RNA binds to that receptor on the macrophage, it basically activates the MHC class 2 as if that macrophage had phagocytosed something, even though it didn't. And so that activates a B cell, then that activates a T cell, and then you have a memory response, yada, yada, yada. Same, same thing as with influenza, as we previously discussed. The big difference is the fact that um, it's that toll-like receptor on the macrophage that's changing everything. So the macrophage doesn't actually have to phagocytose anything. So, now the inevitable question comes up. Well, Atticus... I thought SARS-2 was encapsulated. It is. So then, if it's encapsulated, if you get infected with it, how is the body to recognize it? Well, the answer is kind of complex. Um, because you're right, right? So that RNA won't be exposed if you you yourself are exposed to the virus, right? So you breathe in the virus, let's say, after you've been vaccinated, and that RNA is going to be surrounded by a big protein shell, which is the virus itself, until that virus infects a cell. So if we have created antibodies against the DNA, how are we going to recognize the virus, right? Well, what ends up happening is kind of a, a complex series of unfortunate events, if you will. Um, and that's why I'm not really a big, like, that's why I'm not like that much in favor of DNA and RNA vaccines because they're not that effective. But anyway, um, what happens is you get you get exposed to SARS-CoV-2, SARS-2, right? Even though you've been vaccinated, what will happen is that virus, those first few particles that you inhaled will still infect cells in your respiratory epithelium. But there's a difference here because normally when a cell is infected, what happens is it produces many, many different biomolecules uh, two of which are going to be your interferon gamma and interferon alpha, if I remember correctly. Or, yeah. And and there's a lot more, too. I just can't remember them off the top of my head. 
and you again you could do a whole episode on that but anyway the cell produces these compounds that are basically leached out of the infected cell and it's screaming to the immune system kill me i'm infected and so what happens is these fun little t cells called cytotoxic t cells also known as natural killer cells also known as cd8 uh cd8 t cells they go and bind to the cell receptors on the um, infected cell. And um, when they bind to the receptors on the infected cell, they secrete a protein inside the or into the inside of that infected cell, which basically causes it to lice or break open. So what happens when that cell breaks open? All of that viral DNA is then released into the environment. And who knows, that cell may have even started manufacturing that virus. So what you end up having is those lysed cells from that CD8 T cell, they will release uh, the viral RNA and the some of the viral proteins into the extracellular environment. Now here's where things get funky. The RNA will be immediately recognized by the immune system. And so the immune system will launch a, uh, an immune response against that RNA. But that RNA is also going to be in conjugation with, certain, with, with proteins from the virus capsule. And so what happens? The immune system will phagocytose, phagocytize and, uh, uh, those proteins and it will cause... It will stimulate what's called a thymic type 2 and a thymic type 1 independent and dependent response, which is just a fancy term for one of those antigens, <clears throat> the RNA, will immediately produce antibodies, and the other one will form memory, which will be that, that um, protein from the virus capsule. So what does this mean in layman's terms this means that even if you get the covid vaccine if you get exposed to the virus you're you still may have symptoms for like a day right you're not gonna get sick from it per se but you may experience symptoms it's unlikely but you may experience symptoms because unlike with other vaccines there will be a delay time um from infection by the virus and recognition by the immune system um, because the immune system will immediately recognize the RNA but it will need to have some time to recognize the protein and so that RNA it serves to basically kickstart the immune system to recognize the outer capsid protein of that virus and that is how that vaccine works so do I like this vaccine? Well, look. Do I like it more than not having a vaccine? Absolutely. But is it is it my favorite vaccine ever? No, not at all. Um, you know, the, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are rather effective. But I'm just, you know, a word of caution to all of you uh, young scientists out there listening to me. Don't think that because you've been vaccinated you're invincible to the virus because um, RNA vaccines are just as subject to mutation from the pathogen as any other vaccine. 
Um, and in fact, there's a, there was a strain in South Africa that was resistant to the Pfizer vaccine. And that just gets down to basically what is the immune system recognizing on that RNA? Because it recognizes something. And unless it's every, every one of the, I think, 4,000 or 7,000 base pairs in the virus's sequence, if you change one thing, you may have a mutation in that pathogen that results in an ineffective vaccine. However, ladies and gentlemen, go out and get the vaccine. I would recommend the Pfizer vaccine. I'm not sponsored by them, but I would recommend the Pfizer vaccine because Moderna and AstraZeneca both cause blood clots, and they both cause blood clots in a disproportionately high number of women. So if you're a lady out there uh, listening to this, uh, I'd probably go for the Pfizer vaccine over the Moderna vaccine. And if you guys want an entire episode on why does Moderna vaccine and AstraZeneca, why do they cause blood clots, we could do that. That that would be fun, although that would be a hard episode to film because I'd probably have to do some serious research to find out why because that information isn't readily accessible. So, ladies and gentlemen, the moral of the story here is that, honestly... I think a whole virus uh, subunit vac, uh, a whole virus vaccine, a whole virus dead vaccine would probably be better than a um, a DNA vaccine. That way, you're doing um, not just a thymic type two dependent res- or, uh, independent response, but you also have your uh, dependent response as well. So um, I think that would probably be the best option. But for some pathogens, ladies and gentlemen, for whatever reason, we cannot we cannot use that method of vaccination. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys have a wonderful Monday morning. It you know, it is beautiful here where I am, and I hope it is as beautiful wherever you guys are in the world. Um, I will see you guys all on Friday. If you have any suggestions or comments or questions about the show, never be afraid to shoot me an email at thesciencebt at gmail.com, and I will get back to you, especially if it's a really good um, episode idea. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Have a great Monday, and as always, remember, stand up and question everything. <laughs>